Chapter Eight of the Lonely Lady of Governor Square. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Lonely Lady of Grosvenor Square by Mrs. Henry de Pasteur. Chapter Eight: The Caller. Hewitt threw open the door of the morning room and with swelling chest and sonorous tones of deepest gratification announced the Duke of Monaghan. June came forward to greet her first visitor. Looking both shy and eager, the Duke, as he shook hands, said, I hope I need not apologize for venturing to call, unasked upon my cousin. It did not occur to his inexperienced hostess that this introductory remark had been almost as carefully prepared as her opening speech to Mrs. Wheeler. Indeed, I am only surprised and delighted, she said with honest joy. I think it most kind and neighborly of you to come. Cousinly, he said, accepting with a smile the low chair she drew forward for him as solicitously as though he were really the helpless cripple she had imagined him to be do you know that nobody has been to see me once since i arrived she said wistfully except professional gentlemen with a sudden reminisce of her aunt's reproof who do not count as visitors don't they count said the duke amused they do not she said firmly she felt that though the rector's wife might make mistakes old miss marnie must know better than this youthful gentleman smile as he would june however felt inclined to smile too as she looked at him it was certainly refreshing to see somebody young and the duke looked very young indeed to june hardly more than a boy he was also pleasant to behold his clothes were so severely well cut his collar so glossy, his boots so spotless, his fair hair so closely cropped, his buttonhole of violets so fresh. Louis had always been particular about his clothes. June smiled approvingly at her visitor, and he divined her approval and was secretly pleased, not knowing that it arose entirely from her fondness for seeing everybody and everything clean and tidy. Do many professionals come to see you? He asked with polite curiosity. Not very many. Mr. Valentine came this morning to explain to me all about the power of attorney. You know, that Louis is sending him and other business matters with dignity. This house and everything in it belongs to my brother Louis. But Mr. Valentine is to manage it all till he comes home, and I am taking care of the furniture and pictures. He is a soldier, you know, and now he is in Somaliland. He must have arrived in Obabaya by this time. Just as he was coming home, he was ordered there from South Africa. He was all through the Boer War, and never was sick nor sorry once, nor wounded, though he was in so many battles. He was very lucky, said the Duke. June interpreted his expression as one of regret and answered it with the outspoken sympathy of a child. 
it must have been dreadful for you to not be able to go he colored but replied as simply as she had spoken thank you yes it was but both my brothers went it was rather rough luck on you wasn't it his going i suppose he is your only brother how did you guess that she said surprised his blue eyes twinkled more than ever he was certainly a very pleasant-looking young man though so unfortunate as to be neither tall nor strong he is my only brother and my twin if you would like to hear about him but of course i don't know if you would be interested still he is your cousin too she said the soft orange-brown eyes glowed beneath the black lashes and the fresh red lips parted as she looked at him pathetically unconscious of her own eagerness yet obviously trembling with the hope that here at last she had found one who would be interested in louis the duke too was young and solitary and sympathetic he drew his low chair a little closer to the book of beauty which lay upon the low table dividing them her freshness and sincerity charmed him now as they had charmed him at his first meeting with her when he had realized instantly being in spite of his youth a man of the world that her unconventional behavior arose from no want of modesty but from inexperience her apparent boldness of action was as the boldness of the robin perching on the gardener's fairy spade so timid that he will fly at a sudden movement so confident that he trusts without proof or warrant the friendship of mankind before hewitt and william appeared with the tea things the duke knew almost as much about his cousin louis as june did herself he learnt of his successes at school at sandhurst and in the army he learnt that she had not seen him for five years that she thought of him still as the bright eager boy who had left her when he was scarce twenty years old and that her life and heart and soul were filled with his image and he wondered how much the real louis resembled the louis of her faithful dreams look i have his new photographs the first he has had done since he left england and he is so changed i can hardly believe it, it is louis but oh how glad i am to have them said the little sister and she fetched with hands that actually trembled with pleasure and excitement a shabby desk from a corner where it lay hid from dunham's disapproving eyes i brought it down from my own room for it gives me something to do when i feel too dull she said apologetically to sort and arrange his letters and read them some of them are very interesting at least to me she added hurriedly, alarmed lest the Duke should ask to see them. Of course they are rather private, for I am the only person he has to confide in, in the whole world, and it is just the same with me. There is only Louis, really. Today I have the first letter he has written since he heard of Aunt Caroline's death, and of her leaving her great fortune to him. Doesn't it seem wonderful? For Louis always wished to be rich. Is he very glad? said the Duke. He is not so glad, but that I thought he would have been gladder, she said, unconsciously betraying her disappointment. But Louis is always original and never takes things as one would expect. He is more full of the expedition and shipping the horses than of anything else. But yes, he is very glad, 
he says now all your dreams may come true and that is a great deal for a boy who is apt to laugh at one's foolish dreams you know the duke looked at the photograph of his new cousin and saw a tall young soldier in khaki with a face so much older than june's that it was difficult to believe him her twin brother a stern good-looking face with marked eyebrows meeting over the bridge of an alkaline nose and a thick mustache partially veiling the short upper lip here's a fine fellow said the duke in an interested tone i do not wonder you are proud of him anyone would be proud of him for there is nothing he cannot do he could not bear to be beaten she said holding her head high he does not look as though he would ever be beaten. I am sure he will get on. If they give him a chance, if they are not jealous of him. But I am always afraid they will be jealous. He is so young and so clever, said June, shaking her head over this mysterious reference to the powers that be. And Louis is not one to think of his own interests. He is only too disinterested, a little too scornful and quick to show people what they ought to do, or he used to be. But he had very persuasive ways, too. He was the only person who could ever manage Uncle Robert. And I dare say he has grown wiser still. With all he has been through, poor boy. A tear rolled, unheeded down her cheek, and splashed onto the little bundle of letters clasped in her lap. As she told him how Louis, in his poverty, had yet managed to insure his life for his sister's benefit and to pay his debts. To think, he will never be anxious about money anymore, she said, wiping her eyes. It was that I could not bear, that a boy like him should be anxious. It was foreign to his nature. He was so generous that he couldn't help spending. Poor boy. But it was his only fault. And now Aunt Caroline has saved him from those worries and troubles that made us wonder whether he would ever be able to stick to the army. After all, he had gone through to get there. She now told him about Uncle Roberts and the why and wherefore of her arrival in Grosvenor Square and how much disappointed she was in London life. But he thought her so pretty and so earnest as she said it that he did not even smile. Young people are usually fond of talking about themselves when they find an attentive and sympathetic auditor, and perhaps the Duke was no exception to the rule, but he had the advantage of June in good breeding, and thus found himself constrained to be, upon this occasion, only a listener. His courteous attention never wavered for an instant, though it is possible he might not have been so exemplary in his politeness had her personality appealed to him less strongly. As it was, he enjoyed the opportunity her conversation afforded him to observe her at his leisure. As he rested comfortably in poor Miss Caroline's easiest chair, sheltered by a glass screen from the roaring fire, which Hewitt had built up with a zeal proportionate to the visitor's rank. 
She was dressed in the plainest of black morning gowns, with snowy collar and wristbands, but her hands and throat were white and soft enough to bear the contrast. He thought he had never seen color in so pure with eyes and hair so dark, nor half so pretty an effect as the pointed shadows cast by those downcast black lashes upon the clear red of her cheeks. Her beauty was beauty of the round, childish, dimpled order, but she looked so healthy, so innocent, and so modest, that her little rusticities were all in picture, as the young man told himself in the jargon of the day. It was only the setting that was all wrong. This garish room with its meaningless mixture of modern fashion and relics real or imitation of a bygone day. This wistful creation of an old woman trying to identify herself with the present, which she neither understood nor cared for, instead of clinging to the past which was one with her and to which she belonged. Typical of Aunt Caroline was the juxtaposition of her antiquated harp and a brand new Bechstein grand piano, as was the melange of Moore's Irish melodies and Bellini's operas with the latest burlesque of the day in her music holder. June knew not a note of music. Her studies had not included pianoforte playing, partly on account of Cecilia's jealousies, and partly because of the rector's wife had pointed out that since there was no piano, and partly because the rector's wife had pointed out that since there was no piano at Calle de Sel, it would be waste of time for her to learn. She had been very glad to be spared the trouble, for Cecilia's scales and exercises did not sound very tempting and the less so because June had an ear for harmony. Miss Caroline's new piano was therefore wasted upon her niece, but the Duke was a musician, and had consequently noted it directly he entered the apartment, which, as he observed, made such an inappropriate background for June's rustic prettiness. So she was a farmer's niece. That, of course, accounted for it all. He saw her as in a picture at home upon the mountains, her dark hair blowing in the wind, her red cheeks and dark eyes bright in the sunshine of her native Wales, her pretty hands busied among the flowers of a garden bounded by tall hedges of clipped yew, or working in the cool, dark dairy among the red earthen pans of frothing milk. In such places would this simple maid be at home, but never, never in a modern drawing room. Starting from a reverie, he found his hostess inviting him, but with a pretty solicitude and hesitation, to visit the old nurseries if he chose. Nothing has changed, said little June. There is the white gate at the top of the steep staircase, which your father, I suppose, had put up. I don't remember that, he said, shaking his head. Of course not. It was put up after your dreadful accident she said with pitying eyes and lowered voice. But that is the only change. There are the barred windows and the nursery rhyme paper, only it is rather faded and dirty, I am afraid. Ah, I recollect that, he said quite eagerly. As I walked up, Pippin Hill was my favorite, because the pretty maid was so very pretty, and the hills so remarkably steep, and the other was Curly Lack sitting on a cushion to sew a fine seam. Yes, yes, said June, delighted. But there are several others, Tom the Piper's son, 
and simple Simon. So there were. I can see it all perfectly. You have a very good memory then, for you must have been quite a baby since it was over twenty years ago. I was nearly six years old. Nearly six? And it was over twenty years ago. Then you must be as old as I am, she said astonished. Lilia and I were twenty-five in October. And I was twenty-five last April, he said, smiling. I am even a little older than you are. And I have been thinking of you as quite a boy, about eighteen or nineteen, she said ingenuously. He would have minded more had he had been five years younger, and above all, had she not blushed as she said it. As it was, he rather enjoyed her discomfiture. I am afraid I must put off visiting the scene of my disaster, he said, smiling, as he rose from the low chair before the fire. I have just passed upon your good nature rather a long time already. But perhaps, I venture to hope, you will let me come again one day. He stood beside her and held the hand she gave him for a moment longer than is quite usual in shaking hands. But June was too fluttered to observe it. Must you go? She said with sincere regret. Oh, yes. Please come again. And let it be soon. As soon as you can. For I should like to ask you so many things. Which it would be easier to ask you than Mr. Valentine. Since you are my cousin. And young. Though not so young as I fancied. <laughs> she laughed shyly. It is much easier to talk to people of one's own age, said the Duke. That is just it. But it is one of my chief faults that I talk too much when once I set off, and don't let the other person talk at all. And then they go away, and I recollect they have said nothing, only listen to me. This was so much the true state of the case in the present incident that Duke could not help laughing outright. <laughs> it will be my turn to talk when I come again, he said consolingly. That reminds me of Louis, when he used to come home from school. We took it in turns by the clock to speak. Five minutes each. There was so much to say, said Joan seriously. I had no idea I should have had so much to say to you, however. But all these weeks and weeks I have been so silent that I suppose it all had to come out with a rush. Yet, I did want to ask you anything you will. Was it a very wrong thing I did the other day, going to call on Mrs. Weller? Not in the least wrong. In the country, it would have been quite right. I saw at once why you had mistaken. It was just that you were not used to London. Then, what is the rule here? Here, you may live in a house for 20 years and scarcely know your next neighbor by sight. Then how do you ever make new friends? 
people are introduced to you and you ask them to call <laughs> he said laughing and reddening just as you might have asked me only you didn't but i would in a moment if i had known it was the right thing to do jean assured him earnestly i hoped that was so and that is why being your cousin i ventured to come he said his blue eyes twinkled merrily is there anything else you wish to ask me only this i'm afraid you will think me ignorant but if i am ignorant it is better to tell the truth i do not quite know for instance what i ought to call you nor even know how i should address a letter to you not that i was thinking of writing <laughs> she added hurriedly the duke appeared not to notice her confusion i should like you if you would as i am undoubtedly related to you through the marnies of orsett to call me cousin dennis as my other cousins do he said instantly and i am afraid you will think me very ignorant for i was obliged to ask for miss marnie's niece <laughs> and as i am very bad at knowing how to spell people's names even when i do know them if you will be kind enough to write down yours for me i will write down mine for you jean moved with electricity to the writing table and set forth materials for this purpose i should like to call you cousin dennis very much and i hope you will call me cousin june she said brightening up duke sounds so unnatural somehow to me and i can't tell you how glad i am to find some relations i have always longed to be like other people and have cousins and uncles and aunts uncle roberts is a bachelor you see and the last of his family and aunt caroline was a spinster and the last of the marnies of orsett orsett hall was burnt down i remember said the duke i have always heard it was one of the finest places in the west of england noted for its picture gallery most of the pictures were saved you know said june they're upstairs i should like to see them some day he said with great animation i will ask mrs pike to uncover them they are all covered up covered up but why mrs pike is afraid of the gold frames being fly-blown and aunt caroline was afraid the london smoke would hurt them explained june you see she could not get used to the london smoke after living for sixty years in the country in such a beautiful country do you know it my mother has a house on the other side of the country near exmoor we used to be there a great deal i hoped you lived in london i live in ireland he said smiling but we are a good deal in london too my mother likes it i have looked forward to london but now i'm quite sure i like the country far far better she said mournfully still she brightened up it is nicer now that i know i have relations here it is very pleasant to have relations i hope you find me a pleasant relation he said he made her another grave little bow in the manner jean had observed before to be so old-fashioned and yet so pleasing in a person of his years as he opened the door she sprang forward blushing even more than ever cousin dennis 
Would you — would you like one of his photographs? said Jeanne. He has sent me six. I — I could spare you a copy if you'd like. I should like it of all things, said the Duke, and he received it gratefully. I wonder if that was right or too, too familiar, thought Jeanne. As the door closed upon him, and she ran to the bell and rang it, as she had observed Mrs. Weller did, for her departing guests. Oh, I hope I have not babbled, as Louis used to call it too much. But he was so kind, and I am sure he was interested. So now the duchesses will see Louis's picture, for he will certainly show it to her. I hope she will be as much struck with it as poor Aunt Caroline was with the one in my locket. Or more, since Louis is handsomer than ever. But how he has changed. He has not his laughing face. The war has aged him. Or perhaps seeing so many of his comrades die. Oh, Louis. Louis. If you would but come safely home. The serious eyes of the photograph seemed to return her gaze and to suggest the thoughts of unspeakable sad and lofty lay behind that grave young brow. Decidedly, Louis had grown older. She turned with relief to the familiar boyish face in the locket, now restored to its resting place next to her heart. When he talks and laughs with me, his dear face will come back to me as it used to be, she said and the tears filled her brown eyes. Oh, Louis, I have waited so long that I sometimes feel the day will never come. As Joan changed her day gown for the plain black muslin which Dunham had placed ready for her and insisted she would wear it every evening for her solitary dinner, she received instead of the delegated congratulations she expected a solemn warning from her self-appointed maid and guardian. Yes, ma'am. I don't deny it was attentive of the young gentleman to call, though to my thinking it's a pity he should have waited till my poor lady was dead, what was nearer to him than ever you was, Miss Jane. But like seeks like, and Hewitt tells me his grace is young looking for his age, as you are yourself, Miss Jane. Eighteen or twenty, I would give you not a day more. Oh, Miss Dunham, I hope I look older than he does. Maybe so, maybe not. There's his age in Debrett for all to see, and Hewitt and me looked it out this very day. But it's a very distant cousinship, if at all, as Mrs. Pike has been telling. I would have liked it better, ma'am. If the Duchess, his mamma, had come along with him, I don't hold much, ma'am, with single young gentlemen calling on single young ladies without their mamma's coming with them. Oh, Mrs. Dunham, what could be the harm? She felt inclined to cry. Was she to shut the front door in the face of her only visitor to please Dunham? Had she made another mistake? People living in Governor Square were governed by rules that would never occur to the inhabitants of Kea de Sel? If one was lucky enough to possess a cousin, 
he would be made welcome as a matter of course. She thought of the duke, his politeness, his gentleness, above all his lameness. How could she appear ungrateful for the kindness he had shown? She blushed as she recalled her warm and pressing invitation to him to call again as soon as might be. Joan began to feel Dunham's surveillance as a tiresome thing. But she had lived under authority all her life, and had not the courage to defy the old woman. The brightness died out of her eyes and cheeks, and the dull, weary expression returned. Her lips quivered. She yearned so terribly for companionship. Is there anything more I can do for you, ma'am? Nothing more. Thank you, said Joan with sinking heart. Dunham had done enough for one evening, was her dismal reflection. Spoiled the recollection of the first happy afternoon she had spent since her arrival, and all her anticipations of future visits from her kind cousin Dennis. Are you quite sure, Miss Dunham, she faltered, that I ought not to have visits from single gentlemen who are relations, however nice and polite and well-known they may be? not without their mamas has called ma'am i'm very sure of that if you wasn't alone it would be another matter if i wasn't alone i shouldn't want him said june almost petulantly after all i was introduced to his mamma mrs dunham and she asked me to go and see her then I should go, ma'am. Would that make it all right for cousin, for the duke to come and see me, do you think? It's not for me to advise my betters, ma'am. I hope I know my place too well. A hint is a very different thing to giving advice, said Dunham closing her thin lips in a manner which, as June knew by this time, meant that either she had nothing else to say, or that having more in her mind than prudence permitted her to reveal, she intended to keep it all to herself. Mrs. Dunham is a very unsatisfactory companion, sighed June. As she went down the echoing stone staircase of the mournful empty house, and walked into the silent morning room to await Hewitt's solemn announcement of dinner, she was seized with a sudden despair. I won't. I can't bear it any longer, cried June. I am too wretched and solitary. I shall go mad here all alone, waiting and waiting for Louis, and nobody allowed to come near me. It is all very fine to say I'm taking care of his furniture and his house, but what do they leave for me to do? She looked wildly round for inspiration, and her eyes fell on her shabby desk, standing among the costly trifles on the occasional table, and looking sadly out of place there. Yet how solid and handsome she had thought the old leather case when it stood on the painted window ledge of her attic at home. At home. The word brought the inspiration which June was unconsciously seeking. It pointed out the way of escape even for a moment, from the intolerable ennui of her life in Governor Square. She took an instant resolve. Tomorrow morning, what it could be tonight, 
she would go home to Kied Yisel and entreat her uncle Roberts either to come back with her or to let her stay at home till Louis returned. At least uncle Roberts would not tell her that it was not his place to advise her, and though his experience of what should or could not be done by young ladies living in Governor Square must be very limited, he was neither as old, in June's eyes, and quite as sensible as Dunham. He had sometimes talked of his intention to go and see the sights of London before he died. Surely she could put it to him delicately that now was the very time, since he could not expect to live forever. June would have been very glad enough to see the sights of London herself had she been quite certain what and where they were. But she had not liked to inquire, lest she should be suspected of hankering after amusements instead of mourning her aunt, her kind aunt, who had given all she had in the world to Louis. Secretly, June felt quite sure that Miss Caroline would rather have sympathized than otherwise with her wish for companionship and her longing to let a little brightness in upon the dullness of her life. But she was not by any means so sure of Dunham, and it was Dunham who now practically governed the house, and had almost assumed Miss Marnie's place therein. Mrs. Pike was too old, and Hewitt too stupid, to contend against her rule. The old servants clung faithfully to their duties, and watched the jealous eye for the least symptom of desire on the part of the little upstart stranger to rebel in the slightest degree against the traditions of the house. June was uneasily conscious of their watchfulness, and it increased her timidity and discomfort in her solitary state. She respected Dunham and Pike, and even the serious upper housemaid, who never, it seemed to her, spoke at all. Even Hewitt and William and the stout coachman held some share in her regard. They were all so respectable, so steady, and so faithful to their duties. But she could not help for all that, secretly looking forward to the time when Louis should descend like a bombshell upon this dull and solemn household and scatter the old traditions and the silence and the solemnity to the winds. Louis, with his merry laugh and imperious will and cheerful disregard of difficulties. Far from never allowing young gentlemen to come near the house without their mamas, thought June, indignantly, for the phrase wrinkled. She was assured he would, on the contrary, fill it with his friends from morning till night, and Louis had many friends, for he was constantly referring with enthusiasm to one or the other of them. A revelation was certainly in store for the old servants. She took out his last letter. Of course the cable couldn't go into detail, Louis had written. But it looks as though our hard times were over forevermore, my genie dear. If old Valentine and Thingabob are my solicitors now, sounds very magnificent. They will see you have everything you want in this world till I can arrange to go shares with you, as of course I shall when I come home. I'm writing them all sorts of directions by this mail. That was so like Louis, always perfectly reading and willing to give orders, where June would have hesitated and scrubbled for weeks. Oh, my Junie, if you knew what an immense load this had lifted off my chest. God bless poor Aunt Caroline. I shall be able to write more when I get your letters and valentines. I hear from my boss here that he knows the firm. And it's a first-rate West End firm, so I can trust the old boy straight away. 
which is a comfort. Thank God it came just before I started, which enables me to do all necessary business before I leave. Besides sending me off with a light heart, my chief advises me to send old Valentine a power of attorney, which he thinks will facilitate matters for you greatly. I have been so occupied that I've had no moment to sit down and write a coherent letter. And now that I try, I can't concentrate my thoughts. I went on board the ship this morning, and after three years, blissful forgetness of ships, the same old feeling of nausea came over me that it always assails one as one gets the width of engine room, kitchens, etc., and all the vile things that make life on board intolerable to many landsmen. I am so anxious for your first letter. Write on receipt of my telegraph about Salomaland. I hope you won't be too disappointed, my darling Jeannie, but quite cheerful when you think it is to be but a short trip. No more three-year wars, I hope. If you can find any, send me some maps of the country I'm going to, but nothing else, however rich we may be. God bless you, my gentle Jeanette. Think what times we shall have when we meet. I have no end of surprises in store for you, and how we will make the money fly. I am forgetting this is a sad time for you, though, and you may be crying your dear eyes out for poor Aunt Caroline, but for my sake, cheer up. Be as happy as ever you can. I hope I shall find letters from you waiting at Obia. Louis bade her cheer up, and if he were here, he would understand in a moment how utterly impossible was cheerfulness under the circumstances for his doleful and isolated little sister. With beating heart, she rang the bell and desired William to say that the carriage would be wanted first thing in the morning to take her to Paddington. He will tell Hewitt, and Hewitt will tell Mrs. Dunham, and she will tell Mrs. Pike, and so the ice will be broken, she thought triumphantly. That will make it easier for me to just say casually to Mrs. Dunham at bedtime that I have made up my mind rather suddenly to go home and see Uncle Roberts for a couple of nights or so. I am very glad I have settled it. Now there can be no drawing back. And the lonely lady outwardly composed but inwardly quaking presently sat down to her solitary meal end of chapter 8